Um, I don't know if you were expecting Pastor Steve to be here tonight, but he is still on his way back. So he uh, was asking me if I could take his day today, and he's going to be here next Wednesday. So if you were looking forward to seeing him, you need to come back next Wednesday. <laughs> so uh, I hope you're going to bear with me. Um, scripture reading is going to be from Proverbs uh, 15, chapter uh, verse 29, only one verse today. And if you could please uh, stand for the reading of the word. <clears throat> Proverbs fifteen twenty-nine. We just were in Proverbs, so you should still be there. Uh, it reads the following. It says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Father, we come thanking you uh, today that you are the God who does hear the prayers of the righteous. And Father, we just pray that you would open our hearts, that we might receive your word, and that we would examine ourselves, that um, we are sure that our prayers are according to your will, that you would hear us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to examine ourselves, to see if there's any unconfessed sin in our life that could hinder us from hearing your word. And we just come thanking you that Jesus paid it all, that we can actually come into your presence and to be cleansed from our sins and our unrighteousness. We thank you for the privilege of still being able to come together as a church openly, Father, to hear your words, to praise you, to worship you. And we just are very thankful that you are God. Um, in Jesus' name we do pray this. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but um, I'm noticing that, you know, when you listen to the news, every time when something happens, uh, you know, a terror attack or whatever, and there are people that are victims, especially when children are involved, you know, you hear a lot of people say that our thoughts and our prayers are with you. Um, even at my job, I just today, again, read an email. Now, now, mind you, my job, you know, you are not allowed to talk about Christ, right? But when an announcement was made that a co-worker died, uh, you know, it, it was said, you know, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. And, and I don't know, you know, who sent the email, and, and I'm not claiming to know whether or not this person was a Christian or not, but there's a lot of people who just use the word prayer. And, and I think we need to ask ourselves the question, what prayers does God actually hear? Uh, I remember, I think it was 9-11, right, when, when Muslims and Christians came together, you know, and met together and prayed. And, I mean, we understand why, but, but did God really hear all the prayers? Um, you might ask yourself, you know, I, I've been praying. I've been praying for health. I've been praying for, you know, relief from all the struggles that I'm going through. And how, how come God is not answering the prayer? And you might have heard that, you know, God always answers prayer, right? He either says yes or no or you still have to wait. But that seems kind of easy, right? There's there, there got to be something more to it, at least I think so. And so when we look at Proverbs right here, the 15th chapter, um, I think there are some general guidelines how we can know what, what prayer God hears and what prayer God does not hear. And, and it has been my prayer that, you know, through this, um, we just kind of examine ourselves really to see, you know, what kind of a prayer are we praying when we come to the Lord. Um, you know, we're all familiar probably with Mark eleven twenty two, where it says, you know, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And then this phrase, right? Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you receive it, and it will be yours. 
And, you know, this is a scripture verse that has been abused so many times, right? Especially by the, what is it called? The wealth and, and health teachers, right? And then if you don't get your prayers answered, then, well, you didn't have enough faith. And, and I hope that you have not experienced that. And if you do, you know, you have been deceived. Okay? And I hope that this study will just help you a little bit. Um, and, and we're going to come back to this verse at the end, because uh, there's something that I need to say about that as well. So again, the question is, you know, what kind of prayer does God hear? Um, the, the title of my sermon is, uh, The Prayer God Will Always Hear. That's a bold claim, I know. Right? But I think there's a key, and I, I trust that towards the end we will see that each of our prayers can actually be heard. So, with this, the main point is just simply God always hears the prayer of the righteous. Simple, right? Let's see. My outline is this. You know, whom does God hear? Whom, whom does God not hear? And then we're going to look at the example of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, the, the Proverbs, uh, part of the collection of the Proverbs, 513 verses actually are from King Solomon. Um, there were also several other authors um, that wrote uh, on the book of Proverbs. It was approximately written around 971 to 686 B.C., and again, it, it was Solomon that, that wrote most of them. Now, a lot of you are familiar with Solomon. He is the, the son of, of King David, and he actually was the successor of the kingship. Um, in the very beginning, you know, because he was still young, and, uh, you know, God has, had asked him, hey, ask me anything you want, and, and I will give it to you. And, and Solomon actually asked for wisdom how to lead the Israelites, um, and it was pleasing to the Lord. And so the Lord actually gave him that wisdom, and, and he added on top of it riches. And he was saying, hey, look, if you, if you be obedient, you're even going to get long life. So this is the author of this particular verse that we're going to look at today. Um, he's considered the wisest man. Matter of fact, in, um, in, in the Old Testament, uh, it was said that he was wiser than anybody else during that time. He spoke over 3,000 proverbs, and he had numbered 1,005 songs. Queen Sheba from, from um, Ethiopia was saying that she had heard a report about him, uh, but to just kind of make sure that this is really true because what she heard was just amazing, never heard of, Right? Uh, so she took it upon herself to travel and to meet this king. And then when she was there, she said, well, Scripture says that, she was, that, that her breath was taken away because what she had heard about this king was not even half of what she saw. First um, King 10 says this, she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe the report until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceeds the report I have heard. How happy are your men. Get this. How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom. Blessed is the Lord your God. He delighted in you and put you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made your king to carry out justice and righteousness. Don't just rush over that. We have the book of Proverbs, right, where we have all these writings of Solomon, right? Are we stricken by awe, just kind of like the, the queen from Sheba was? And, and she was saying, how happy are your servants that they are under your teaching? Do you feel the same when you read Proverbs, for example? 
Do you, do you feel the blessing of hear, hearing all that wisdom that is written on there? You know, it should really encourage us. Uh, you know, there are a lot of reading plans out there, right? But, you know, Proverbs has 31 chapters. You can read a chapter in a whole month. You know, in those days that only have 30 days or 28 days, you know, you just, you know, read two, uh, two verses uh, at the end of a month. But I, I want to encourage you to kind of maybe um, uh, add that to your reading plan, you know, because what is written in there is just really a tremendous blessing. Um, let, let me read a couple quotes from John MacArthur's uh, quick reference guide uh, to the Bible. He says, Proverbs are simple moral statements of illustrations that highlight and teach fundamental truths and tendencies in life. Another quote is, it provides a sample of the kind of wisdom that made Solomon famous. The purpose of the proverb is to focus attention on godly living. It stresses upright living that flows out of the right relationship with God. It contains principles and applications of scripture that the godly character of the Bible illustrates throughout life. Proverbs are divine guidelines and wise observations that teach underlying principles of life. They are not inflexible laws or absolute promises. God does not guarantee uniform outcome or applications for each proverb, end quote. So learning and applying the Proverbs are in general leading to right living, but are not necessarily a guarantee that it will happen. So we're all familiar with, you know, as an example, for example, Proverbs 22, right, where it says in verse 6, start a youth out in his way or train up a child in the way it should go. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. That's a good principle, biblical principle. For a parent, but it's not an absolute guarantee that the child might not gonna go in a different direction. But in a general way, he would go in the right direction. Okay. Um, so it's wise as a parent to teach scripture and, and to uh, teach them in the way of the Lord. Now, our verse in, in Proverbs is uh, one of uh, short sayings. Um, you find a lot of these short sayings, you know, from chapter 10 to chapter 15, which only really contains two lines, consisting usually only of six to eight words. And some are, as our verse, simply contrasting opposite truth. Okay? And so let's look at Proverbs 15:29 and draw out the general truth about whom God will hear. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So who is, who is it that, the, that God will not hear? The, sub, the subject in both lines is God, Yahweh. He's the self-existing, eternal God, Jehovah, which is the Jewish national name for God. The God who created heaven and earth the sea and everything in it. He, um, he is not a created being. He has always existed. He's the Alpha and the Omega. If you don't know Greek, he's the A and the Z, the, be- <laughs> the beginning and the end. The one who cannot lie because he is not man. He is holy. He is absolute truth. He is holy, holy, holy. He's all righteous, all just. He's also love, faithful, forgiving, and merciful. And if you look at him, he is nothing like us. Nothing like us. He is just simply good and perfect. And he is all powerful. He's everywhere present. God is spirit. He is not like us who are just, you know, restricted to a certain area, but he is just everywhere. And he knows everything. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intents, your motives. He knows your heart. As so often in Scripture, 
you know, we only are giving two categories. Right here, we see the wicked and the righteous. You know, Scripture talks about light and darkness. Talks about believers and unbelievers. There's nothing in between, really. Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles is everybody who is not a Jew. You know, so um, looking at this Scripture verse where it says right here um, that he described as the wicked and the righteous, that, that can't be very offensive, right? Um, we kind of have our own idea what wicked is, right? Um, you know, we, we usually think of individuals that are so horrific what they have done to be really wicked, to be really evil, right? Um, you know, what comes to mind always pretty much is, you know, Adolf Hitler, right? Stalin, you know, because of all that they have done, um, yeah, they were wicked, they were evil. So why is Solomon using that word right here? So we want to take a look at that. Um, you know, even right now, just recently, the shooting that, that happened, you know, where 19 kids or 18 kids were, were killed, right? Uh, I, I have heard in the news where they were saying, this was a monster that did that. He was evil. And, you know, rightly so, right? I mean, this was a wicked act. You know, the, the war in the Ukraine, right, that was considered or is considered of being wicked, right? When, when citizens being murdered, uh, women being raped, you know, those are wicked and evil acts. Is that what Solomon had in mind when he said that God is far from the wicked? To better get an understanding of that, we, we, we kind of need to look a little bit deeper into this word wicked. Um, I'm not going to even try to pronounce the Hebrew word or the Greek word. <laughs> but wicked usually translate literally in, in, in most of the context as evil or wicked. It's the quality of being wicked, evil, guilty, and unjust. If you look at, the, um, at Psalm 34, 21, it says right here, evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. All right? so, so those that are opposed to righteous people are actually considered wicked. In Psalm 10, we, we can read this, For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings, the one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord, in all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there is no accountability, accountability, accountability since there is no God. So here he is actually saying, hey, if, if, if you deny that there is a God, you, you are considered wicked. Psalm 36 says this, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person, dread of God has no effect on him. If there's a person who does not fear the Lord, that is considered wicked. Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 37, 20. The wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastor will fade away, they will fade away like smoke. I looked at the uh, Septuagint of the, the Old Testament, and the word in the Greek that was describing wicked um, is actually ungodly, godless, and wicked. Uh, it derives from the R, which denotes none or un, and then what follows basically means to worship or to devout. So if you are a non-worshipper, if you are one that does not follow the Lord, you are actually considered wicked. And again, it's kind of like that contrast that the Bible gives us, right? Darkness and light. Jew, Gentile. That's what Solomon is doing right here. He is putting in that category of wicked 
a whole bunch of individuals. Simply means that those who are godless are the ones who fight against the purpose of God. And that category is basically everybody who is not a believer. But there's also a promise, and there's some hope, right? Because Christ came in this world to die for the ungodly. He died for the wicked. This verse is very often used to describe that God will not hear the prayers of unbelievers. And there is truth to that. He is not obligated to to answer any prayers of somebody who is not a follower of Christ. However, that word wicked would also be applicable for someone who claims to be a follower of Christ but lives in a sinful way. Because technically, every time when we sin, what we are doing is we're rebelling against God. Not your will, but my will. And that's a wicked act. Um, so, so then who can be righteous? I mean, who can be hurt? Right? Especially in light of this, what we read in, in, in Romans, for example, where it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then in Romans three twenty three, it says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. So technically, we are all wicked. Can you imagine going to your friend or family member and telling them, you know what? God sees you as wicked. Try that. It's kind of like the same what Jesus was saying, right? Uh, if God was your father, you would listen to me. But your father is actually Satan. Try that one. See how that will Clear. So, if it holds true, and it does, that the true God is perfect, righteous, just, and that he is, there's no sin in him, then in comparison to him, we can agree that we are wicked. See, when we look at people, right, you can always, I can always find somebody that is worse than me, Right? Uh, compared to me, you are a saint, believe me, right? Uh, and, and vice versa. We can always find somebody that has done worse. But if we compare ourselves to God, that's when we have to agree that we all have fallen short of the glory of God because we all have sinned. We, we are born sinners. And that's from whom God is very far. But again, there's hope because he was saying that Christ came to die for the ungodly. Now, when it says, you know, that God is far away, um, you know, this is just kind of like so that we kind of have a picture that we can better understand that, right? Because we said earlier that God is a spirit. He's just everywhere. It's not that, 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 that he cannot hear you, right? And that he cannot see you and that he doesn't see the acts that you are doing, which is really your dilemma, right? Because everything that we are doing, every thought that we have is written down, and there's going to come a time when we're going to be judged according to what we have done or have left undone. So it's not so much that he is far away, like in a spatial you know, way that, you know, I, I don't know who's in the kitchen, right? Um, no, but but... But that's the, the, the picture that we should get, that he is far away from those who are wicked. But nevertheless, he is everywhere. The psalmist says in 139, right, he says, uh, where, where can I hide if I, if I make my bed in a shell? You are right there. You know, even the darkness is not dark enough. You're still going to see me, you know. 
Jeremiah 23 says this, Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration, do I not fill the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. So, no, what, what Solomon means is that he just does not have an intimate relationship with the wicked. No close fellowship with them. He has, there's a relational separation. He does not regard what they say. In Habakkuk 1.13, it says this, um, his eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And Psalm 7.11 states that God is angry with the wicked every day. Did you hear that? He's angry with the wicked. He's not angry at your sin, but he's angry with the wicked. In Psalm 5, it says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. There goes that notion that God is love. He would not hate anybody. That is righteous anger because he's a holy God. He is pure. He is perfect. There's no sin in him. I cannot even fathom that, right? Because all I know is sin. But that's who God is. He is, like in Isaiah it says, he is holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 59.2 says this, Your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have, uh, uh, have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. That's what Solomon meant right there, that he is far away. Our sins have separated us from him. And again, as, even as Christians, right? If we continue in, in unrepentant sin, we are in that category of acting wickedly. That's why it is so important to confess our sins daily. Every time when, 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 we, when we recognize that we have sinned or when sin comes into our mind, we should go to the Lord in prayer. And by the way, that's one prayer that he will hear you know, if we ask for forgiveness. Psalm 52, if, if you think about it, you know, David, he said, I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me against you. You alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. That was King David. But he recognized that what he had done was evil. Do you consider your sin as an evil act? And wicked act. It was Solomon who, um, when he had finished the temple, right, he dedicated it. And, and you know, he said, hey, if, if, if we're in the far land and we have been separated and we look towards this temple and pray to you, you will hear us, right? In, in, in 2 Chronicles 6.36, he says this. When they sin against you, Israel... For there is no one who does not sin. And you are angry with them and hand them over to your enemy and their captor deport them to a distant and nearby country. And when they come to their senses in the land where they were deported and repent and petition you in their captor's land, saying, we have sinned and done wrong, we have been wicked. Here again, we, we, we see that picture that when we sin, it is being considered as wicked. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save, nor is his ear too deaf to hear, but your iniquities are separating you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. That's what sin will do. And Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had been aware of any iniquities in my heart, the Lord would not have listened or 
heard what I had to say. So God is far from those who are wicked and live in rebellion towards him. Unbelievers, you know, um, and believers alike. Now for unbelievers, again, what they should recognize is that they need to confess that. And as Romans 5, 8 says, that Christ died for sinners. There's deliverance available from the judgment to come. And instead of hiding from God or running away from him, you should stop and and repent of your own ways and turn to him. And we should actually pray for unbelievers that God would give them the spirit so that they could be sensitive to that message. Ezekiel 33.11 says, As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent. Repent of your evil ways. Why will you die? And John 3.16, very familiar, right? God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's true love. He saw that we had a need. We could not save ourselves because all of our ways are only evil and we on our own would not seek him out. So he provided a way to be able to be restored into fellowship with him. Yeah, it seems narrow-minded, right? But if you really think about it, that there is no other way you have to admit that that is a gift, I mean, a, a, a gift of love. And again, this should be our prayers for everybody that we know that God would give them spirit, draw them to them, because Scripture says they are spiritually depraved. They cannot understand that. So we should pray for them that God would open their hearts. So now, in contrast, let's look at the second line. This was... Um, this was that, that God is far away from those that are wicked. Okay? And, and again, you know, just as a believer, just keep in mind that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't deny your sin. Don't make him a liar that I have not sinned. Recognize that we all still struggle with that, Right? So, in in the contrast now, the general principle for whom God will hear. Look at the second line again. But he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, the word prayer is is really just simple, you know, to hear, to listen, uh, paying attention, perceiving. Primarily, it means to hear a sound with your ear. When, whenever this word prayer is, is mentioned in the Bible, it is never praying to another human. It's only praying to God. That's what is meant by prayer right here. God hears and answers prayer, and as we read in specific to those who are righteous. Again, Solomon is given the direct opposite principle with regards to God. Where he was distant from those that are not worshiping him, those that are not following him, those who are not believing in him, the wicked and all who live like that. Now he's given the description what what the characteristic is of the ones that God will hear. He will have an intimate fellowship and respond to prayers of the righteous. Again, Psalm 66 says this, Come and listen, all who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth, and praise was on my tongue. If I had been aware of iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. However... God has listened, he has paid attention 
to the sounds of my prayer. Blessed be God, he has not turned away my prayer or turned his faithful love from me. That's a blessing, right? That God will actually hear us. So again, prayer is, is intercession. It's a, a petition. The word is used, again, never to address another human. When, when the, the Bible talks about we are praying, we are always praying to God. Psalm 10, 17 says this, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully. Proverbs 15, 8 <clears throat> says this, the sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You know, how many times have I come to the Lord in prayer and like, you know, he must be kind of ticked off with me that I'm here coming again with something that I come before, right? No, he delights in the prayer of the righteous. You know, in, in um, Philippians 4, 6, it says that, you know, we should not worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He delights in the prayer of the saints and of those that are righteous. So now you might ask the question, well, we heard earlier that there's really nobody that is righteous. Uh, but, but here, you know, he is saying that he only hears the righteous. Uh, who can that be? Who can that be? And the question might comes up, do I have to be perfect? Does that mean I cannot sin at all no more or he will not hear me? Well, you know, the answer is kind of like yes and no, right? Um, yes, he, he demands perfection. But you and I, we cannot, we cannot obtain that, at least not here on this side. Romans 3.21 says this, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the Lord and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, receiving through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Christ. It is not a righteousness on all. It is not a righteousness on our own. And, and, and remember that even in the Old Testament, right? Abraham, right? He believed and it was accredited to him as righteousness. So both, even in the Old Testament, it has always been by trusting in the promises that God had provided. When God declares us righteous, he means completely righteous. So positionally, he sees us as if we had never committed any act of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the exchange that took place if someone has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus took the sins that I have committed, paid the penalty for it on the cross, so God, as righteous and just as he is, now can freely forgive someone that is a follower of Christ. And in turn, we received his righteousness. So that when God looks at a Christian, a follower of Christ, he will see the righteousness of Christ, and we have become acceptable before him. Now, that's when James, for example, says that the fervent prayer of the righteous man will availeth much, right? It is that as a follower of God, he is considered to be righteous. That's a good news. That is a good news. Hopeless, wicked sinners 
that that um, that what, what what none of us could do has been done by God. That's how much He loved us. He provided the way that was necessary. It was Christ, the sinless one. Um, he always did the will of the Father. When he walked on earth, there was no sin in him. There was nothing that he did against the will of God. He always uh, was obedient to him. And that was always God's purpose, right? To save the sinner. It was not just like, oops, you know, now they sin. What am I going to do right now? No, God, from before the foundation of the world, had purpose to save a chosen uh, a people. Now, it, it does not mean that I have to now live perfectly, but what happens is that my direction has changed. I, I no longer just want to live for myself, but I want to live in accordance to his will, and, and it grieves me when, when, when I don't do that, right? Um, so, when, when it says that um, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commandments, part of that commandment is that we continue to believe in Christ, right? And also that we confess our sins. If you have sinned, if I have sinned, one of the commandments is come and, and confess it to me. And then the promise follows that I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that is really an ongoing thing. It's, it's a daily activity. Um, you know, even in the Lord's Prayer, he was saying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that have trespassed us. That was the example that Jesus gave to his disciples, right? The one who says, I have come to know him and yet does, uh, does not keep his commandment is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God has made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. That's the example. That is the example, that we should walk as he walked. And when we fail, when we notice that we fall short, we confess it to the Lord. So it's a change of direction. It's not perfection. So the question really should be, you know, uh, uh, does it grieve you when you sin? Do you feel that struggle? Kind of like uh, what Paul was saying, you know, in Romans 7, when he was saying the things I, I, I want to do, I, I find myself not doing, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And then he said, oh, wretched man that I am, right? That's us. That's describing us. It grieves us. It, it, it bothers us um, that, that, that we are, you know, one of the wish that I have is that I just for one day maybe could say like what Christ said, right? I always kept your commandments, but I always fall short. But when we do, do we linger in it? Do we deny it? Do we try to hide it? Or are we coming to the Lord and confess it to him? That is the approach that we should have. <clears throat> So, we realize then that the righteous is the one that does follow God. Not perfectly, but he follows. His directions have changed from, I'm going to have it my way, to, I'm going to have it his way. Okay? Um, that is described, this is the person that, that uh, Solomon described as the righteous one. So no, you might ask, hey, look, you titled your, your, your sermon, God Always Hears the Prayer of the Righteous, but you know what? If I look at my life, not every prayer has been answered, it seemed. So what's going on? What is going on? Well, I mean, it, it should lead us, first of all, to examine ourselves, right? Uh, am I in the right stance with, with, with the Lord? Uh, I think in Peter it was, right, where... where there was a, 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 a description of, of the husband that does not have a prayer answered because he didn't treat his wife right. right? So we, we should examine ourselves to see if there's anything that, that needs to be confessed. Now let's go back to Mark 11. 
It says right there, therefore I tell you everything you pray and ask for. And if you believe it, that you will receive it and it will be yours. What does he mean by everything? Is it really just everything? I want a you know, two-story house. I want a big car. Um, there was a preacher actually in Los Angeles. His congregation gave him a Mercedes. And he gave it back to them and said, no, I, I, I want a Rolls Royce. You know, is that that kind of everything? <clears throat> this word everything really needs some explanation, you know, and you kind of have to see it in, in context and you also have to compare it with other scriptures, okay? Um, James 4, 2, 3, for example, says this, you desire and you do not have, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasure. That could be a reason why you maybe not have your prayer answered, right? It's because you just want to be selfish. It's a difference if I pray for a house because I want to serve and open the doors maybe for others and, 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 and present the gospel to them, or I just want a bigger house because I want a bigger house than my neighbor. But if we do pray in, in his will, um, then no matter what, I, I don't care what kind of mountain is in front of you, it will be removed, actually, if you are praying in accordance with his will. So with that, I, I, I want to kind of look at Jesus, because Jesus really gives us an example of how we can assure that all of our prayers will be answered or heard. Uh, in 1 John 5, before I go to Jesus, it says right there, this is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Did you hear that? According to his will, then he will hear us. So in contrast to what we read in Mark, that you know whatever we ask, so the disclaimer is, if it is in accordance with his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Again, according to his will. John 14 says this, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know when we say at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name, that's what meant by them. It's not just, you know, it kind of has become kind of like a, a catchphrase, right? I don't know if really everybody understands when we say in Jesus' name what, we, what is meant by that. It's because we believe that what we are praying for is in accordance to your will. John 15 says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, <clears throat> Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Uh, in, in Psalm what, 37, I believe it is, where it says, you know, he will give, if, if you delight in the Lord, he will give you the uh, desires of your heart. If you really delight in the Lord that, that you want to do his will, that you want to live for him, if you have that in your heart, then what's going to happen is whatever you're going to ask will be in line with his will. And he said he will give you that desire. So that means that, that, that we have to know what his will is, right? How am I going to do that? Well, Romans 12 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And then verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Sorry, you have to get into the Word. You have to be under 
good, sound preaching and teaching. That is the only way that we can know what the will of God is. We have to be transferred, renewed in our mind. Okay? That's the only way. That's the only way. How much time do you spend in his word? And by the way, that it is important, you can tell how the evil one is trying to distract you and interrupt that, right? How many times have you tried to read and then you fall asleep? But yet if you watch your show on TV, everything is fine, it seems. But it's because it's that important. He does not want you to know the will of God. Because if you know the will of God and apply it to your life, then the prayer of the righteous man availeth much. So again, ask yourself the question, how much time do you spend in the word? Do you memorize his word? Um, Do you study the word? Under what kind of teaching are you? You know, I think that's kind of like what is meant when, I'm going to butcher this name, Epaphras in Colossians 4, when it was talked, uh, said about him that he always wrestles for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in every, uh, everything God wills. Prayer is not an easy thing. If you want to pray in God's will, it is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing because you've got to know, first of all, what God's will is. And I have to deny myself. In Matthew 6, the disciples' prayer, right? He says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So here's the example of Jesus now. Listen to him in John 11. He says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And then he says this, I know that you always hear me. He always was heard by the Father. And the reason was because he did not come to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. That was his purpose. And because of that, the Father always heard him. And that's the example that we have. That's the example that we have. So you might want to ask rightly right now, well, what if I don't know the will of God? I mean, where should I go? You know, should I go to this school or this school? Or should I? What about that? You know, or what about um, well, if something that, that, that should happen is... is It's not easy to to deny myself. When he was in the garden, when Jesus was in the garden, you know, when, when he knew that the cross was in front of him, and he knew that he came for that purpose, but humanly speaking, he was asking the Father, hey, if it is possible, can you remove this cup? But then he says this, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. So even in that, even though he said, you know, if it's possible, take this cup away from me, but because he surrendered again to God, the Father hurt him. So it was not that the Father has neglected him when he went to the cross. It was the Father's will for him to go on the cross because that was the only way for human beings to be saved. There was a um, TMS, uh, master, uh, the master's uh, seminary. Uh, there was a graduate, and what, what they do is when, when they graduate from uh, seminary, they kind of gather together with family and other students, and they give testimonies. And, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of explain, you know, how they got there and how God has opened doors in them. There was one student, and I kind of go by recollection, I was trying to find it, but uh, I couldn't find it, but he was saying that while he was studying at the TMS, um, that his father was very ill, 
And he was always praying for his father that, you know, God would heal him. And, and it seemed like God would just not answer that prayer. And so his professor, he was saying, where, where he actually studied prayer, kind of took him aside and, and really counseled him. And, you know, they went through scriptures, and, and I don't recall, you know, what scriptures they all went through. But at the end, he was saying that <clears throat> towards the end, he changed his prayer. His father was a believer, and he recognized that his prayer was really selfish. Can you heal my father? So for all this time, I don't know if it was months or years, right? God did not seem to have answered that prayer. Uh, you know, the father would not get better. But then after, you know, he was done counseling, getting, receiving counsel from the professor, he changed his prayer. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. You know, take him home. And within days, the, the, the prayer was answered. That's, that's hard, right? But that's the kind of not my will, but your will be done. And that kind of praying can only be done if you know the word. Because only then you will realize that when a loved one who is in Christ, when they pass on from here, they're going to enter into a healing that we cannot even imagine. Right? No more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. What we wish, we actually can get or will receive there. So when he gave that testimony, man, believe me, I'm an emotional person. I, I was crying. But, but when I thought about it, I was like, you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. How many times have I prayed, and then if I really examine myself, Man, it was selfish. It was not your will. It was my will. Get me out of this mess because I don't want to get through this mess. Well, Scripture says that, you know, all things will work together for good for those who love them, right? And for what purpose? That I might become more conformed to the image of Christ. So maybe the struggles that you and I are going through right now, the purpose of that is because he is in the process of sanctifying us. He wants us to be more like Christ. So I guess this is the application for the believer then, right? We should examine our, uh, our um, prayer life. One, are we in continuous sin that we have not confessed? Um, you know, or have we confessed it and repent of it? And then are we really praying, not my will, but your will? And you know, it gets really tricky, and, and, and I keep on bringing up that example. Look at Peter. Look, when Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to die, I'm going to go on the cross, Peter was the one that took him aside and rebuked him, right? Over my dead body, so to speak, right? And then what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Because even though, humanly speaking, it was a noble thing, you know, he didn't want Jesus to die, but he didn't see the whole picture. Jesus came to die for sinners. Jesus, that was the only purpose why he came. He had to go to the cross. And to deny that is actually to act like what Satan wanted to do. So, examine your prayer life. Are you praying really in God's will? For the unbeliever? Or maybe even for someone who has been deceived and is, you know, thinks that he's a believer but truly is not. Um, does it bother you that you are sinning? Or are you comfortable and you just want to continue in it? You know, I don't care what God thinks. Well, your prayers are not being heard. Matter of fact, what we heard is that God is far away from you. What you need, and that's our prayer, is that you need to repent and, and, and come to him and beg him for mercy. Realize that just like the rest of us, you are a sinner, and that sin separates you from God. And if you die in your sin, all that there is left is that you have to stand by yourself in front of the, ju uh, the judge. And you know what? You might be able to hide stuff from me, or you might even try to sugarcoat it and, and, and talk yourself out of it. Look, we said earlier that everything you do 
Every thought, every word you say, everything that you have not done that you could have done is written down, and you will be judged according to that. So if you have any questions, how to get right with God, you can ask me, you can ask Pastor, you you can ask, I think, all the members right here, and either they will guide you or they will direct you to somebody who can help you with what the gospel is and how you can get right with God. And, And I plead, just like Paul was saying, you know, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And Father, we just come thanking you one more time that you have left us with your word. That, um, that you were just willing to make salvation available. And um, that is so tremendous. I mean, 